And then we, we were looking also at Hanukkah, so maybe we'll cross a little back and forth. We were learning something this morning, and uh, I, I found it interesting because I think it relates to Hanukkah and it relates also to the Perasha. We have the, the Gemara, the Talmud, teaches in Abu Dazara, tells a story about a certain rabbi. His name was Rabbi, rabbi Hanina ben Teradion. So he was one of the, the ten martyrs. He was the father-in-law of Rabbi Meir Balhanes. And uh, the way the Gemara puts it, it says that he, uh, he was sitting and occupying himself with Torah. And this is when it was against the law to teach the Torah in public. And he gathered people, keeping a Torah scroll next to him. He said as soon as they saw him, the, the authorities... They arrested him, and they wrapped him in the, the Torah scroll, and they placed a bundle of branches around him, and they set them on fire to burn him alive. But what did they do to be somewhat sadistic? They brought tufts of wool, which they soaked in water, and they placed the wool around his heart, around his body, so that he wouldn't die too quickly, so he would suffer longer. His daughter, who's Buria, who is the wife of Rabbi Meir, she looks at her father and she says to her father, Father, that I should see you in this state. And he told her that if I were being burned alone, it would have been a hard thing to bear. But that I'm with the, the Torah, Hashem, who has to have regard for the plight of the Torah, will have regard for me. He's having a conversation while he's being burned alive. We have this also with Rabbi Akiva, another. He's having a conversation while he's being stripped of his skin. So the students of, uh, of Rav Hanina, they turn to him and they say, Rabbi, uh, what do you see? And he says, he says to them, I see the letters of the Torah. The parchment is being burned, but the letters are soaring up to heaven. And then they tell him, Rabbi, just open up your mouth. Let the fire eat you away quicker, so you should die sooner, so you shouldn't suffer so much. And he says to them, let him, meaning Hashem, God, who gave me my soul, take it away. I'm not going to try to die a moment sooner on my own. Finally, the executioner is looking at all of this, and imagine this guy is an executioner, and an executioner, we learn that you do it again and again, You almost like sometimes you see a doctor who sees things over and over again and he becomes a little, a little hard. Imagine an executioner. And the executioner seems to be so moved that he turns to the rabbi and he says, Rabbi, if I take away the tufts of wool, the, wo- the wool with the water that's around your heart, and I cause the flame to, to, to come faster, he said to him, he says to him, will you cause me to enter into the world to come? Will you guarantee me a place in Olam Haba, in heaven? And the rabbi says, yes. So the executioner says, I don't believe you, swear to me. And the rabbi swears to him. And the executioner pulls away the wool from, his, from the rabbi's heart, and the rabbi's soul quickly departed. What happens next? The executioner jumps into the fire. And a voice is heard from heaven, exclaiming, 
Rav Hanina ben Teradion and the executioner have been assigned to the world to come. When Rabbi heard this, he wept and he said, look how a person could acquire the world to come in a second, without the executioner. So I was listening to the story, we were going over this today in the, in the office, and so what's going on? I mean, does the executioner earn a place the same as, as the rabbi? What, what is the, what's going on with the rabbi? What is the rabbi? How does the rabbi sort of take him up with him towards heaven? And we were, we were debating and trying to understand what's going on. And we really related it to this week's parasha. This week's parasha and also to the holiday of Hanukkah. In Hanukkah, we have the lights of Hanukkah, which we're going to try to explain as we go. The lights of Hanukkah are really drawing, drawing up from down, drawing towards up from below. So some the, the laws basically are that we keep uh, Hanukkah, we call Menorah, we have to keep it a certain distance towards the ground. We light it ideally ten, within 10 tefachim from the ground, within 40 inches, because it's drawing from the ground to above. The nair, the light of Hanukkah, is supposed to be a conduit to take us up. I saw a comment that the rabbi, in dying like this, was a conduit to draw this other soul up with him and everything else up with him, from below to above. The same way it seems that Joseph... So the, the question is, when we read in this week's portion, we have the beginning of this week's portion, we have... Pharaoh has a, has a dream, and then he has another dream, and no one could interpret his dream. So finally, his, uh, his wine steward comes to him and says, when I was in jail, there was a, a Hebrew young slave, everything to put him down, Hebrew young slave, all you know, adjectives to say he's really nobody. But he was able to, to interpret my dream and the dream of the baker. And I'm here today because of his dream. Maybe he could help you. So he's, Joseph is pulled out of jail. They shave him. They clean him up. And they bring him to, to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, I heard you interpret dreams. What's interesting is, if you're a guy in jail, and you've been sitting in jail now for 10 years, right? 12 years. 10 plus 2. Yeah, 12. You've been sitting in jail for 12 years. Nobody's going to find you. The first thing you're going to do is he going to say, hey, yeah, of course I could interpret the dream, you know? I'm, I'm the guy, I'm your guy, right? But what does he say? He says, no, I have no power. It's only whatever God says. And it's interesting that Pharaoh responds to this concept of God as Elohim, the God of nature, the God who created. And, he, and, and Joseph asks him the dream, and then when he repeats the dream back, he repeats... In his repetition of the dream, there are facts that Pharaoh left out of the dream that Joseph seems to see. And then he interprets the dream, saying that there's going to be seven years of famine, and then, I mean, seven years of plenty, and then seven years of famine so bad that you don't remember the plenty. And he does something strange, though. He not only interprets the dream, he gives advice. And he says, so what you should do is appoint someone to oversee and make sure everything's taken care of. 
So the question the rabbis all ask is, who asked him his advice? Who asked Joseph to give advice? We ask you to interpret the dream. You interpret the dream? Okay. Now, who's, who's asking you to give advice? And once he gives advice, Pharaoh says, well, there's no one as smart as you. And he uses the term, Navon, Bina. No one has this aspect of Bina like you. And therefore, you're going to be the one who's going to rule the whole country, take care of this agricultural problem, look after everything, and other than me, you rule. Now, does Joseph have a master's degree in politics? Does he have a master's in agriculture? Does he have... I mean, the question is why? Why does he appoint him? What does he have that, to make him be appointed over anybody else? He interpreted a dream. Okay, we'll put you in a little shop and it'll have outside dream interpretations and crystal balls. But what puts him in a position that he should be this person? So we're going to jump for a second to Hanukkah and then we're going to come back to that. So we celebrate this week. We're celebrating Hanukkah. And why do we celebrate Hanukkah? So we know we celebrate Hanukkah for two reasons. If we look in the, when we pray in the Siddur, we read three times a day. What do we read in when we're reading, when we're reading Al-Hanisim? We read, Bimei Matityahu, Ben Yochanan, Kohen Gadol, in the days of Matityahu. What happened? We won a beautiful victory. And therefore, we went and lit the, lit the menorah, and we celebrate every year. So my question is, is, is the victory why we celebrate? Is it the lights, the, the candles that stayed lit? Why we celebrate? It's what? It's all together. But if it's the victory, aren't there greater victories that we have than that victory? For example, we have the story of Chizkiyahu. Chizkiyahu was the king. It says, Vayishlach Yishayahu ben Amos el Chizkiyahu lemor. The Yishayahu, Isaiah the prophet, sends to Chizkiyahu a message and says that you prayed to me because of, you prayed to me because of Sancheriv. So we know what happened was Sancheriv comes down, Sancheriv who destroyed the ten and exiled the ten tribes, comes down and with his troops he circles Jerusalem. And what happens? Chizkiyahu says, I have no troops to fight him, I don't know what I'm going to do. So he basically lies down and goes to bed that night, and it's the night of Passover, and the Navi tells us, it was that night, and the angel of God went, and it destroyed in the camp of Ashur, 185,000 troops. They got up in the morning, every one of them is dead. So now, is that not the greatest victory you could imagine? Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. There's no army to battle. You go to sleep at night, not knowing what's going to be in the morning. And you wake up the next day, and 185,000 guys are dead. It's a much bigger victory than it seems to be the victory against the Greeks, where we still, uh, <laughs> what do we do? We won a little victory, it seems, against the Greeks. It seems in comparison. But it's not a victory over the justified. It's a victory that people were depression of not allowed to study at all. They don't allow to do anything. So that's the victory that the the, the team okay overcome. But here here it's only one. But he, he, he says one angel went and killed 
they were calling, they came from not fighting, not fighting at all. Okay. It's all together, you know, that's what you're looking at. But, but I'm saying, which, is, which victory is greater? Okay, let's give you another war. Please. Did you say how they died? Was it like disease? The 185,000? So what we, what, it says that, the, that this angel went out and he killed them. Basically, what we understand is they, they got some disease and they all died that night. But I don't know how 185,000 people all die in one night unless something, something strange happens. Yeah, exactly. Uh, something like that. So I, I think that that, that but but if they had come in they, they would have been all gone but yes I, I agree so we're saying that it's a it's an ideological victory or a victory of Judaism over Hellenism. Yeah. That's, that's the victory that we're celebrating. So we're, we're, we're not saying it's a war, but when we read it in the, in the Al-Hanisim, we're celebrating the victory of the war. Now if we go to even modern times, 1967. So I was only a little kid in 1967. But I know when I, when I speak to my, you know, I spoke to my dad, I speak to my mother, and my, my mother, my mother really... My mother worked for Army Intelligence in World War II. My mother was basically the CIA in World War II. My mother knew looking at things and predicting things and would ask my mother, and my mother would say they had no shot. Yeah, that's true. They had no shot. In 67, it was going to be over. It's impossible, basically. So look at that victory. Is that as great a victory? Why is that about victory? It is about victory. It depends who you ask. But look... So I'm saying, shouldn't now we have a holiday? Eight days we celebrate this holiday. All, all the walls of Israel, we know God when the wind, God was there with them. Listen, who stopped the Syrian on the, on the border? That, so I'm saying, so, so I'm, but I'm saying to you, you have if you if we're talking about physical victory, we have lots and lots of physical victories that we didn't make. Not only not a one day holiday, this is an eight day holiday. Okay. Purim, we make a one-day holiday. You want to make a holiday for Chanukah? Let's make a one-day holiday. Why do we need an eight-day holiday for Chanukah? Let's look at, so let's say, you know what? It was the miracle of the oil. The problem we have with the miracle of the oil is the Gemara tells us that every single day in the Ben HaMikdash there were ten open miracles. Ten open miracles. Despite the wind, the column of smoke went straight up. No defect was ever found in the Omer or the showbreads. You had... You had People crammed in there still when they bowed down. Everybody had room all around them. And you have the story, even in the Gemara, where you have the daughter of Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa. What happens? She comes to him one night and she says, on Friday, she says, Ah, Dad, I made a mistake. I lit vinegar instead of lighting oil. So what does he tell her? He who said the oil should burn will let the vinegar burn. And for Shabbat, the vinegar burned. Okay, so we have the oil. It doesn't seem to be such a big miracle, the oil, compared to all the miracles we read about in the Gemara and all the miracles we read about, doesn't seem to be a huge miracle. So you have that second problem. So 
Is it such a huge military victory? Yeah, maybe it's a great military victory, but there's others. Is it such a huge miracle that oil burned for eight days? It seems not in comparison to the, other, the others we read. And then we go back. Why eight days? So you want to make it like Purim? Make one day. Why do you need eight days? And what's so specific about the Greek exile? So something's interesting. You know, we have a Greek exile, right? We, have, we, call, out, we, call, we say the first exile was, was Babel, Babylonian exile. What happened to Babylonian exile? Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he literally takes us and he moves us to Babel. The next exile we have is Parasumadai, Persia and, and Medes, right? And that, that exile, we were still out of the country. We weren't in Israel, we were in exile. What happens? We have Cyrus allows them to return, and they return to the land. Then the Greeks come, Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great comes, and Alexander the Great comes into Israel, and what happens? Shimon HaSadik sees him, and then what happens? Alexander gets off the horse and bows to him. He says, why are you bowing to him? He says, every night before I went, when I went to sleep, I had a dream to tell me if I was going to win the next day. And who was the one who came to me in my dream to tell me if I would win? This guy. So the relationship between the Jewish people and the Greeks at that point was incredible. How many Jewish families named their kid? Alexander. Alexander after who? You're naming him after Alexander the Great. The next year, I think every kid born, the Gemara says, every kid born was named Alexander. And you have, you have even the Ashkenazim, they have Sender, all these names that are related to Alexander. So you have this great relationship with Alexander. Go further. You can write a Sefer Torah, you can write a Torah scroll in two languages. What are the two languages? Hebrew and? And? Greek. Greek! You could write a Torah scroll in Greek and it's kosher. What? Keep going. When Noah has, Noah has three sons, right? Shem, Ham, and Yafet. When Yafet gets the, the blessing, he says, what does it say? It says, Yafet is Greece, is Yofi. All the beauty goes to him. It says that which, which doesn't have a blemish. The Zohar says, this is the kingdom of Greece, which is close to the path of Emunah. Close to the path of faith is Greece. So there's something about Greece which is beautiful and positive. They're very close in Emunah. All the holy books could be written in their language. Winston Churchill once commented on the partnership of Israel and Greece. No two cities have counted more with mankind than Athens and Jerusalem. Their messages in religion, philosophy, and art have been the guiding light in modern faith and culture. Personally, I have always been on the side of both. So yet there must be a catch because we call the Greek the dark, the empire of darkness. Which one is it? Please. Well, I, I think that um, we were in great danger, especially at that time, of being assimilated by the Greeks. And so it, was, it wasn't just a, a, a war of, of, of minds. It's just that we saw the beauty in the Greeks that wanted to embrace them and they wanted to embrace us. And so this victory was able to put a machitzah between us. I, I, I think that's the, yeah, that's the avenue that we go. Yeah, but even so, you know, the, the, the Hashmonaim became very Hellenized themselves. Yeah. And, and for that reason, uh, by the time, you know, Queen uh, uh, Shlomzion hmm? came along. What? Can you repeat that again? The Hashmonaim became very Hellenized. The Hashmonaim, the, the, 
Hellenized means like Greek. Greek they, the, the next generations of the Hashmonaim became like Greeks. They took on Greek names. They took on Greek customs. And then when, when the whole thing was happening, they were the ones who brought in the Romans. Right. So they went to try to get rid of the dog. They brought in a lion. <laughs> that, that's what the Gemara says. But that was the Hashmonaim. Why does the Gemara not talk about, talk about Hanukkah? Because the rabbis weren't so happy with the Hashmonaim. Because they Hellenized. Please. So, just a question. We have a positive view of the Greeks and Greece in general, but that's really interesting because the Greeks in general don't like the Jews, like, to this day. So, like, what's the philosophy? Now we're going to see see really how everything starts to change. So so the the, the next problem we have is Hanukkah, Hanukkah that we have today. Can this, I just the, put a, a footnote to this? Please, please, please. I, I think the, the Hellenistic and Jewish uh, uh, affinity is at the intellectual level. I think you find that our sages, it's, it's not a social affinity so much as it is an intellectual thing. We admire one another. Right. You know. For sure. Yeah. So, so now, let, let's look at Hanukkah today. For the vast majority of Jews, Hanukkah is about... Lighting the candles, spinning some dreidels, eating some uh, latkes or jelly donuts, and buying presents. Every night for eight nights, we go and buy presents. The problem is that for us, reality is Hanukkah is not the holiday of presents. It's not even the holiday of eating. On Purim, we have a mitzvah, we have a commandment to make a suudah, to make a meal, to celebrate. And that's the day we send gifts. And that's the day we send food. And that's the day we send things to the poor. On Hanukkah, no such thing. But what have we done? We've Hellenized Hanukkah. <laughs> we've, we've westernized Hanukkah. We've made it a copy, Lehavdil. And I'm not talking about us in the room. But I'm talking about the majority of Jews in this country and beyond have made it sort of a Jewish Christmas. No? Yeah, no, it's, it's, so, it's ironic because the, the Jews who are gung-ho about Hanukkah today would have been the one opposed. Exactly. So, so it's, it's, it's almost as if everything that we're doing today is exactly the same thing that Matityahu fought against in those days. We're living an absolute repeat of Hanukkah in our days. So now let's try to understand what, what further goes on. The Mishnah tells us this. These are the festivities of the idolaters. Kalenda, Saturnalia, Kratesis, the anniversary of ascension to the throne, as well as royal birthdays and anniversaries and deaths. Said Rav Hanan ben Rabbah, Kalenda is kept on the eight days following the winter equinox. Saturnalia on the eight days preceding the equinox. So, and he brings a pasuk to, to explain it. So what's going on here? So he says that there's a, the, the Goyim have a holiday, eight-day holiday that precedes the, 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 the equinox, right? And eight days after, that's what they celebrated. Idolatrous holiday. It says, our rabbis taught when Adam, when Adam first saw the day gradually getting shorter, he thought he sinned, he got thrown out of the garden, and every day is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And what's eventually going to happen? Because he sinned, he's going to destroy all daylight. He saw every day is shrinking. Eventually there's going to be no more daylight. 
and it's over for him. What happened? He saw, and then he saw it was a kind of death sentence from heaven, and this is how he's going to go. Every day shorter until there's no more day and it's over. So he began keeping an eight-day fast, but all of a sudden he observed the winter equinox, and he noted the days were getting longer. And it says in the Gemara that Adam said, this is the course of the world. And he set forth to keep an eight-day holiday in the following year, and he appointed both festivals. Eight days before he fasted, and eight days after he celebrated. Why? Because he knew this is the way of the world and appreciated that God designed the world in this manner. Says the Gemara, what happens? That Adam saw, he saw this in a, in a certain way, the Gemara in Abu Dazara. He says, but what happened? He says that later on, the, the, the other people after him started turning this into an idolatrous holiday. He says, so before we go along to discuss, we have to realize something. That this holiday, these holidays were kept by the Greeks, these holidays were kept by the Romans. And if you read how the Greeks and Romans kept them, it was really uh, a real festival. And often the Jews were the brunt of the joke. Right? There, was all, there was a king of the festival, the king was often a Jew, and in the end they would kill him. They would carry him in the parade, and in the end they would kill him. And this even carried on into the times of the Middle Ages when they had the popes. So how could that be? It says, before we move along, it says, so let us remember, Chanukah falls on the 25th day of Kislev. It's the 25th day of the Hebrew month, which is the darkest month of the year. Lahavdil, okay? This holiday would fall out after he realized on the 25th day of December. So the, the Christmas comes the 25th day of December to January 1st. How many days is it? Eight days. Eight days. So when I was a kid, my father told me, you know why? Because Jesus was born and Jesus had a bris on the eighth day. So that was New Year's. But that's not why. <laughs> it says, what happened? It says, the Romans and the Greeks celebrated this holiday, the eight days of the holiday, based on this pagan holiday, according to the Talmud. They celebrated this holiday as the birthday of the sun. S-U-N. Because that was when the sun was reborn. It says, when Christianity came about, especially in Rome, in the 3rd century, with, in the 4th century with Constantine, what happened was, they at that point, if you read some of the works, say that Jesus was born in March. Suddenly, in order to pull all of these Romans who were celebrating this 8-day holiday, and all of the Greeks and all of whoever else was selling the holiday, turn this into the birthday of the sun. Except instead of S-U-N, it was S-O-N. Okay? That's it. That's how they have that holiday. That holiday, no Christian scholar will tell you that's when he was born. None. He was born in March, accordingly. Yeah, in the spring. And even that, we don't know if it's true. But that's what we're told. He was born in March. So what happened, it says, what happened according to the book of Maccabee, is that the Greeks specifically defiled the temple on the birthday of the sun, S-O-N. So three years later, when the Maccabees took the temple back, they specifically inaugurated it on the 25th day, against the 25th day, against the same day that the Greeks defiled it. Something just never knew, right? So this, that's from the book of Maccabees. Go further. 
And we read in the Torah, the beginning, the first beginning of the Torah, it says, It's the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the land was. So, Tohu Vabohu is, uh, how do I translate? Uh, mixed, uh, mixed, Tohu Vabohu, okay. Vechoshech, darkness, al penetehom, on the face of the deep. So the rabbis say to us that what was the world? Tohu, that's Babel, that's Babylonian exile. Bohu, that's the exile of the Persians. Choshech is the exile of the Greeks, which is a problem because there was no Greek exile. When the Greeks were in rule, in, in, when the Greeks ruled, where were we? In Israel. In Israel. So we call it a Greek exile, even though there was no Greek exile. Well, if we are in our land, but don't have sovereignty, it becomes a galut. Okay, that's the answer. The choshech al penetehom, al penetehom is those on and on. That's the Romans. So what we're told is that the that the Greeks represent choshech, darkness. The problem with that. Is that what's the symbol of Greece? Light. Which which light? The, the, the Olympic torch. So you're telling me now Greek, which says their symbol is light, we call it darkness. We're calling darkness what they call light. We have after Alexander the Great, Alexander the Great dies, and the kingdom is split. In the very beginning, Israel was ruled by Ptolemy. Ptolemy, so it's split into the, the Ptolemy and, and the Seleucide right? kingdoms. Seleucide was based, is that how you say it? Seleucide? Seleucide. Seleucide was Syria, and Ptolemy was in Egypt. And what, what this, this Ptolemy was very interested in, in, in scholarship, and he wanted to understand the, the Torah. So what did he do? He brought 72 sages, sages, 72 rabbis, and he put each of them in their own room, and he told each of them to translate the five books of Moses. And each of them translated the five books of Moses, and all of them made 15, 15 changes in the, in the reading of the five books of Moses. All of them made the same 15 changes, because they were worried that the Greeks would misunderstand. And at that point, you had a Greek translation of the Torah. Interesting enough, we fast on that day. No. So it's, we, we have basically Asarab et Tevet, but we, we, we're supposed to, the Gemara would tell us, if we could, we would fast the 8th, the 9th, and the 10th. And it discusses the different things that happened the 8th, the 9th, and the 10th. And one of the things that occurred in those days was the translation of the Torah to Greek. Say, so why? The next thing we have is the Syrian side takes over the land of Israel. And there they don't have such a great relationship with the Jewish people. What happens is they start to sell the priesthood. So first there's a, you know, and there's, there's a, you know they're selling the priesthood. Who wants to be the Kohen Gadol? is up to the, the biggest, the, the, the highest bidder. If you want to be the high priest, the highest bidder gets to be the high priest. So you know the joke, right? The guy comes to the rabbi and says, could you make me a, a priest? And he says, not really. He goes, I'll give you a lot of money. He goes, ah, maybe. He goes, but really, why do you want to be a Kohen? He says, you know, my father was, my grandfather was, right? So he really, he should be himself. Maybe. Anyway, so here we have this guy, we have this guy, Jason, 
and he goes to the king who's Antiochus, and he offers him money to become the Kohen Gadol. And he makes him the Kohen Gadol. The problem then is, we have another guy, and his name is Menelaus, and Menelaus is not even a Kohen, and he offers more money to become the Kohen Gadol. So they make him the Kohen Gadol. So now you have the whole thing is, it becomes crazy. But why would they want to go to the Kodesh Kodeshim? They could die. So you have in the second, so the second temple period was 410 or 420. The first was 410, the second 420. I think that's it. In the 420, you had about 400 Kohen Gadols. So I, didn't think, I don't think they lasted too long, but they wanted the honor. So the pro, so so okay so you you want so the, you know the interesting the interesting the answer to that huh exactly so the the problem we have is today we have a, we have a law that if you have a firstborn son what do you have to do you have to redeem him with five coins to the kohen the problem is is the kohen a kohen we have other problems when it comes to is the kohen a kohen really you have to take certain parts of the animal and give them over to the kohen. The reason we don't do it is because we don't believe. Maybe they're not Kohanim. Maybe they're really not Kohen. You don't know. So we have, at least in our community, we have certain families that have a tradition that goes back 2,000 years. So for example, when someone towel goes up to the Torah, some of them go up to the Torah and then when you give them the blessing after Mishiverach, you say whatever, Aharon, Aaron Tawil HaKohen Ben Eli HaKohen Anytime they go up to the Torah They add on Ben Eli HaKohen They are direct descendants Of Eli HaKohen And they trace their descent All the way back to Eli HaKohen Which means prior to King David To the time of Samuel So you have that But still you had You had had the Chafetz Chaim I think it was he said that he was looking always to find a Kohen that he should be able to redeem himself. And finally, he found someone from the Rappaport family. And he said that the Rappaport family, their family has uh, proof of direct descent. And he, even though he was redeemed when he was 30 days old, he still redeemed himself again with this... Oh, so it wasn't Chafetz Chaim. Vilna Gaon, thank you, appreciate it. Vilna Gaon, he redeemed himself with this guy, uh, Rappaport. Right, Kagan would be... Exactly. So he redeemed himself because there was always the fear. Are they Kohen or not a Kohen? You see from here that it was a lot of people got up to be Kohanim, to be priests, because they wanted the honor. People do a lot of things with honor. It goes further. And we have, after Antiochus dies, we have someone, we have someone Nicanor. Nicanor, I think he's also Antiochus Nicanor. He was the one, he came and, or he worked for Antiochus. He insisted that they slaughter a pig in the Bet HaMikdash. And what happened was, he went to, the, to, to Yohanan, and he said to him, listen, he was, uh, he was uh, uh, Yohanan ben Matityahu, the, right? He, so he was, uh, he was really, he should have been the Kohen Gadol, I don't know if he really was. And he said to him, I want you to slaughter the pig. He said to him, as long as you get everyone out of the room, I don't want anyone seeing me do it. And he went in with him, and instead of slaughtering the pig, he killed him, and that started the revolt. The revolt begins. At the same time, the, the Greeks then outlawed certain things. They outlawed the Sabbath, they outlawed the Torah, they outlawed the circumcision, and they outlawed the new moon. 
Rosh Chodesh, exactly, the new moon. That's why it's very interesting that we have one holiday which crosses two months. Which holiday is in two months? Chanukah is the only holiday that comes into two months so that we should have a Rosh Chodesh in Chanukah. Because they tried to outlaw Chanukah, they tried to outlaw, outlaw Rosh Chodesh. We fixed, but if it was the 25th of, of, uh, of Kislev, then it always would have been. The interesting thing also about the 25th of Kislev is, you know, we read the Torah this morning. What did we read when we read in the Torah this morning? We read a part about the dedication of the initial Mishkan. And the, the rabbis tell us that the Mishkan, the tabernacle, originally was prepared on what day? On the 25th day of Kislev. But we didn't open it until Rosh Chodesh Nisan. And so, you know, the day felt bad, so to say. So, you know, God, so to say, said to the day, don't worry, we'll, we'll use you when it comes to the time, the time of the Maccabees. So, so one, one of the, the ideas that the, the rabbis bring, especially the Mekubalim, is that Chanukah is, is also Chanukah. Chanu is a dedication, right? Chanukah is dedication of Ka. Ka is Kaf Hei. Is 25. The question is, what does that mean, 25? So, the Greeks wanted everyone to be Greek. They liked the Jewish religion. They wanted to incorporate the beauty of that into theirs, but they wanted everyone to be Greek. The, uh, the, the main thing about the Greeks was that they felt that the world represented perfection. Nature represented perfection. And that was what it was about. What was their, their highlight? was the Olympics. The Olympics celebrated what? The perfection of the human body. The sad thing is that the rabbis tell us that the Kohanim who should have been in the Bet HaMikdash, what did they do? They left the Bet HaMikdash to go to the gymnasium, go to the stadium. And what did they do? They went to compete because that was the height. That was the, the greatest. Go further. The body is perfect as it is, which means that the Jews, by circumcising, what are they doing? They're mutilating the perfection of the body. And so what did many of the Jews do in those days? They underwent an operation, now imagine 2,500 years ago, right? To, in some way, reverse, reverse the circumcision. Yeah. Because they wanted to show off and be perfect. So to the Greeks, the world, which is represented in seven days, is perfect. That's perfection. One of the reasons that we have Hanukkah, and it goes into eight days, is because what does eight represent? Beyond nature. That which is beyond nature. The Greeks felt nature was perfect. The Jewish people believe that God created, and then Hashem says, die. We call Hashem Shakai, El Shakai, Shin Dalad Yud. Shai, and then Dai. Why? It's Hashem who said Dai, enough. The Zohar Kadosh tells us something very interesting. Tells us that Dai is represented by the number, Dalad Yud is? Dalad is four, Yud is ten. It says that Hashem stopped 14 stages before completion, and man's job is to finish the, the, the 14 stages. Which means if there are 50 stages in total, how, many, how far down did the light come? To 36. 36. If you count the number of candles that we have during Hanukkah, 
There are 36 candles. If you take one the first night, two, three, four, it's 36 in total. The rabbis go so far to tell us that, that, the, that we know when we originally started, we said, we said, in the beginning God created the heavens, right? And the world was dark. And then what does God create? What's the first thing that God creates? Light. But when is the sun created? The fourth, the fourth day. So what light is there the first three days? So this is light we call Or Haganuz, Or En Sof. Right? Or En Sof. Aleph, Aleph, Or En Sof. So this is the light that we say was created. It says, what did Hashem do with this light? He hid it away to the Sadiqim. Where is this light hidden? Where is this light of 36? Another idea of this idea of 36 is that the light is hidden. We, ne- we say, how many hidden sadikim are there in the world? 36. Lamid Vavnik, right? 36. That's where the light is hidden. Where else is it hidden? We say the 36 candles of Hanukkah. That's why a person is supposed to look at the candles as they burn, because that light can then be somewhat absorbed by the person. The not only that, hour. the first half hour. And not only that... If you look at it beyond 30 minutes, it's... Can't hurt. Can't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have the other place is the 36 hours of Shabbat. What does it mean, the 36 hours of Shabbat? So it explains the 36 hours of Shabbat were the 12 hours on the Friday and the 24 hours of Shabbat that Adam HaRishon, that man, had use of this light, this special light. So the other place that this light is in is in the candles of Shabbat. What do you mean by the 12 hours on Friday? So, Hashem was cre- so Adam was created and he was created in the day of Friday. And then he leaves the garden after Saturday night. Hashem lets him stay through Saturday night. Those 36 hours, he's enjoying the light of the Ensof. He's enjoying the light, this Or HaGanuz, this hidden light. Says, what happens after he leaves the garden? And what's the first thing that Hashem allows him to create or gives him the ability to, to have? What's the first thing we have created after Friday night? No, Friday night? Saturday night, sorry. Havdalah. What do we do? Havdalah, Boreh. Meoreh Ha'esh. When he leaves the garden, there's no light, so he has to have fire. That's when we have fire. That's how fire is is associated with Saturday night. So he, said, so he goes further, he says that we have to understand that, again, the seven is always associated with the physical. Seven scales of music, seven days of the week. Uh, everything in the physical world is associated with seven. Beyond, beyond the seven is eight. And eight is associated with that which is beyond nature. If you go in the Sefirot, so also, just to think, the Brit Milah, when do we give the Brit Milah? Is the eighth day, because why is it beyond nature? So the argument that Rabbi Akiva has with Tunis Rufus is Tunis Rufus says if God creates the world, He creates perfection. So why are the Jews going beyond the perfection? And his argument is you shouldn't do Brit Milah, you shouldn't do all these other things. You shouldn't do a circumcision, you shouldn't do all these things. He says to him, what's better, raw wheat or cooked bread? He says God gives us the raw materials and it's up to us to perfect nature. It's up to man to perfect nature, and that's going beyond nature, and that's represented by the concept of eight. Mashiach also is eight. So, so when does the Mashiach come? In the second year of the second Shemitah, so to say. So you have the seven to go to eight. 
It's always eight. Everything has to do with eight. We have, for example, Shavuot, which is receiving the Torah. We have the seven weeks, but we don't count. Which is the, which is the day? The 50th. The 50th. The 50th is after seven. The one extra is the eighth. Always this concept of eight is that which is beyond nature. So when us celebrating, celebrating Hanukkah, the way we're celebrating Hanukkah, is to show that the Greek concept of nature being perfection is not what we accept. That we believe that God put us here and our job is to perfect it's to, to perfect the world, to elevate the nature. And this goes back to the original the idea that we have of taking the candles and the candles representing lifting up or elevating nature to a higher level. The whole idea of Hanukkah that separates us from the Greeks is this concept. The concept of the Greeks is God is made in the image of men. The concept of the Jewish people is man is made, man is made in the image of God. What's the difference? All Greek gods have human tendencies because they have to bring the God down to their level. By us, what we want to do is we want to take man and elevate man to the level of God. The whole idea of Hanukkah is a spiritual holiday, not a physical holiday. And that's why we don't focus on the gifts and that's why we don't focus on the meals and that's why we don't focus on all of those things because the idea of Hanukkah is for us to take the darkest days and increase the light. It's interesting, when you say bring God to the level of man, when you said that, I thought of the reform movement. What do they do? They change everything in the religion to fit what's comfortable for man in that time. So, so, I know the Chinese are big on eight. I wonder where they learned that from. You said it now. So the Chinese, <laughs> said it perfectly. So it says that uh, the Chinese, so we remember we said... Uh, Abraham has uh, six sons, and he sends, them, he sends them to the east. He sends them to the east with gifts. So, so, uh, so I, I, I could go on there. So the, the idea really... What? The gifts of Hanukkah. <laughs> so the, the idea really of Hanukkah is, 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 to, is to elevate, is to elevate the, the physical, to take it up to a level, to bring it towards the spiritual, to take what Hashem gives us. So what is our job in this world? So I, one of the things I was, I was putting notes together today was man's job is to complete. Hashem begins and we complete. It's like the idea of Brit Milah. Our job is to perfect the world. Hashem says die, enough or stop. Die is this, the 14 like we just said, Dalit Yud. Brings it down to the 36. Our, our job is to bring it to other 14 levels. Our job is to carry, is to carry the light. It's interesting that when Adam sins, when Adam sins... What does Hashem tell Adam? He tells him one word first. The first word Hashem tells Adam. What's the first word? Where are you? Uh, where are you? In Hebrew? Ayeka. What is Ayeka? Aleph, Yud, Chav, Hey. Where is? Where is? Chav, Hey. So what's Chav, Hey? Chav, Hey represents the light in one form. 36 represents the light in another form. 36 times in the Torah we have light. But 25, what's the 25th word in the Torah? You can count. Or. And how do you say, and what's the word before? Yehi or. What's, what's the gematria of Yehi? 36. Yud, hey yud? 25. 25 is or. 25 is or. So there's a level of or, which is 25, which is unrefined. Then there's a level of 36, which is more refined. It's interesting that when Yaakov Avinu... It's also 25 Kislev. 
So that's why it's 25 Kislev, because it relates to this other idea of 25. And that's why we have Chanu Ka, that it's on the 25th, when the, the aspect of the light. Because the whole aspect of, of Chanukah is to return the light. When, 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 when Yaakov Avinu has his sons around him, and he's worried that did they sin or not, what do they do? They say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. One of the interesting things about Shema is how many letters are in Shema Yisrael? Here is 25 letters. Yaakov answers them, not with 25 letters, but with 24 letters. If he had answered them with 25, then everything would have been completed because we would have reached the 50th level. The whole idea, the whole idea that he's telling his sons is it's up to you to do what you have to do to complete the job. We have to do whatever we have to do to draw down this, to draw down. We have to perfect the world. And each of us is given challenges in our own life, and we talk about it a lot. The challenges that we're given. So people talk about tikkun olam, tikkun olam, fixing the world, fixing the world. The first thing you have to worry about before you worry about tikkun olam is tikkun of your own self, to fix yourself. We talk about Gilgul, we talk about... So we said, what was the thing that my rabbi always used to tell us? What was the thing? Whatever is the hardest thing for you to do is probably the reason you're here. Wherever you lack your self-control, that's the thing you have to fix. So that's what you have to fix. And by focusing on that, especially in the time of Hanukkah, right? Because in Hanukkah, you have the extra help of this, this idea of the light, of, 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 of extra help of the light. If you go back to one more thing. So eight also represents the idea of Bina. So if you count the Sifirot from the bottom, and you go up, you go up to the level of Bina. The interesting thing about Bina is it's above anything we deal with. Because when do we start dealing with them? We start with Chesed, Vurat, Tiferet, Netzachod, Yisod, Machut. We don't go up to Bina. Why? Bina is too high for us to get to. There's one time we could access Bina, which is Shabbat. Shabbat. So Shabbat, that's, that's why, why Yom Kippurim? Shabbat Shabbaton. So the idea of that. But another time you could access Bina is when? Is in Chanukah. The idea of the eight. And, and the light of Chanukah is actually telling you you could access light that's above the level of anything that we have. How do you access it? How do you access? So the, the, the question is now, what are you supposed to do with the light of, of the Chanukah? So we, we're supposed to, at that point, that we're supposed to focus on the light, but focus on ourselves. If I'm going to tell you, if I do a, a meditation, how do I take myself from seven to eight? I have seven. I'm born with seven. My job is to get to eight. The imperfections in my life, my, my, my orla, right? My, my foreskin, so to say, my orla, that's what I have to remove to get me to eight. What is the foreskin in my life that's preventing me? The interesting thing is, what do we say happens when you take off the orla and the brit milah? When you open the orla, the Zohar Kadosh says, what happens? You reveal the light. What do you mean you reveal the light? Because you're accessing this light of eight, this light of binah, this light of 36, this light of... Whatever the number is, but you're accessing light. Why? Because you're showing, you're perfecting the seven. You're going beyond the seven. So if I have anything to focus on, I have to focus on myself. I have the seven. 
what do I have to do to get to eight? And then what we do is each night of Hanukkah, we would focus on the, on the, on the Sefirah that's related to the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, until we get to Zot Hanukkah, which is eight. So for example, the first night of Hanukkah, if I ask you a question, and I know I'm going a little over, but we'll finish with this. If, if I asked you a question and said, what does is, what is, what is chesed represent? Which is one. What does it represent? Chesed? Yeah. It's mercy. Like... Kindness. Kindness. Okay, tell me three things about you that you could give to other people that represent your chesed, your personal chesed. If I ask someone that, you have ten seconds. Three things that you have, think about it, of your chesed that you could share, give to other people. What are the strengths that God gave you in 10 seconds that you should be sharing with other people? Most of us don't get it in 10 seconds. If I tell you in 10 seconds, think of your three worst traits, you probably could get, guess those, right? But the three, so the idea of chesed is to think, what gifts do I have? And how do I share those gifts? That's day one. Day two is gvura, which is very hard to... Because Givura represents what? Self-control, strength. Where do I lack self-control? And how do I focus on the self-control? So it's almost like a seven-day, you know, move up the... Right, a seven-day change my life. And then the eighth day represents Zod Hanukkah because the eighth day is going beyond. That's why we read... Eighth? Because going the reverse, the eighth is Binah. Right, so... The eighth represents the, the, this going on. That's why it's interesting that we read the Torah. What do we read on the eighth day? On the first day, we read the first gift to the Mishkan. On the second day, we read the second. On the third day, we read the third. What do we read on the eighth? Come on. The first day, we read the first day. Said, what do we read on the eighth? We read the eighth day, but what else do we read? The ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth. We take all five days and we complete it on that. And we go into the dedication. Why? What's so special about Zot Chanukah? Because the real power of Chanukah is in the eighth day. It's in the eighth day when all the candles are lit. Because by then, if you've worked on yourself every single night of Chanukah and every single day of Chanukah, by the eighth day, you should be able to move, so to say, forward and absorb the light. What was the secret of Yosef HaSadiq? He represented the channel of Binah. What does Parod tell him? There's no person, Navon, like you. What is Navon? Bina. Why is he going to be the one who's going to handle everything? Because he sees in Yosef that Yosef is the channel to this level of Bina, which means you bypass everything and you can take care of everyone. Because. No, but, he's, but that's the difference. It's Bina connecting to Yisod directly and, and bringing everything. He has to still go up. Our idea on Shabbat. For example, one of the things on Shabbat that we have to do is when we say Barechu on Friday night when we pray. So most of the times when the Chazan says Barechu at Hashem Barechu what do we do? People go like this, you know, like you know, just to get up and bow a little. The truth is, you don't have to get up at all. You could just sit down the whole time. You don't have to get up. There's one time you get up. When do you have to get up? Friday night. Only Friday night. Why? Because on Friday night when you bow and you raise yourself, your kavanah has to be that when I bow, I'm taking binah down to malchut. Right? I'm bypassing the whole system. And when I raise myself up, I'm taking malchut back up to binah. Meaning, what am I doing on Shabbat? We say Shabbat is mekor, is the source of all blessing. Why? Because on Shabbat, I have the ability 
to draw down light, or whatever you want to call it, energy, but blessing, means, everything, from the world of Bina. It's Bina of Malchut, it's not Bina of Bina. Okay, let's keep it in the level here. <laughs> yeah. but, that's, but that's what it is, but still you're drawing down the level of Bina. Yeah. That's the whole idea of Shabbat, to be able to draw down the level of Binah. The idea of Chanukah is drawing down the same level. The idea of Yosef is Yisod. Why is Yosef Mefanes HaOlam? Parnas of the Olam. What is Parnas of the Olam? Meaning he's the guy who sustains the world. Because he's Yisod, but he's drawing down through this level of Binah. That's why he tells him, Navon, he, I didn't, there's nobody who has Binah, Navon like you. That's why he appoints him. He doesn't have the MBA. He doesn't have the agricultural degree. He doesn't have, but what does he have? He has the ability to reach from above and bring down below and share with everyone else. How do you get that level? You get to the level of eight. How do you get to the level eight? By perfecting ourselves. Why is Yosef the one guy who's called? Sadiq. Why? Because he perfects himself. Where does he perfect himself? In? No, but where does he perfect himself? With what midah? Of protecting himself by watching his brit milah. By, by watching his sexual... Uh, so what did he do? He perfected himself. He took his, his natural... right, his, And he perfected himself. And therefore, once he perfects himself, what does he do? He reopens his brit milah. His brit milah becomes open, sort of an open uh, channel. And has an open channel means all the shefa comes directly down. People complain and say, why doesn't God bless me? Where my blessing? Why don't I got blessing? The problem is, is blessing is coming all the time. It's showering down all the time, all the time. There's a pipe up there and the water's coming right down. The problem is not in the top. It's not in the, in the pipe. The problem is the bottom of the pipe. What's the problem? We got a clog in the pipe. The opportunity that we have. Ah, and that's the whole idea of the light. So the problem is if the light comes down, why, why, is, why is the light hidden away from the Rishaim? Because why? Because the light will burn the klipot. And what will happen? They won't have an opportunity to earn. And if they don't have an opportunity to earn, then what happens? Finish. Doesn't do anything for them. You know, just let's close. Final thing, final thing. You know, in the 